Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With lockdown limitations continually adjusting and the summer now looking us beautifully in the eye, we continue with regular discussions about our respective horticultural worlds. Putting the pandemic's grip on us aside, we sincerely hope that you found enough moments to quietly contemplate, distract yourself, gaze in wonder and generally pour positive and fruitful energy into this most glorious and rewarding of hobbies, which, for Saul and myself, we are lucky enough to also call our profession. Restrictions are still with us, experiences are still unprecedented, but Lucy and I hope that by providing you with a continued shortened version of this podcast every few days, you can easily fit a small dose of horticultural musings into your routine. We will, of course, still bring you longer bonus episodes too, when we chat to inspirational peers on more in-depth gardening topics. So fire up the kettle, get comfortable in your favourite chair and join us now for a 20-minute escape into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. Well, you find me on this really glorious sunny day in Essex, standing in the wall kitchen garden at East Dunlan Hall. Saul and I thought it'd be lovely to give you a tour of our gardens as they stand in the height of summer. And I've made a beeline for my favourite place, which is the wall kitchen garden. And I'm just walking around assessing what's going on. So I'll try my very best to paint a picture for you so you can see through my eyes what the kitchen garden's looking like. So we've got gravel pathways, it's a two-third of an acre kitchen garden, and we're on light sandy soil. Uh, the moment I'm standing against the south-facing wall, so for this area of the garden, we really try to cram in the plants that love the sun. What I've planted here way back in late February, early March, was some early potatoes. We've got Jazzy and Lady Crystal, which I talked about the other day on our previous podcast, so you know all about those. They are my two favourite uh, potatoes of the moment and uh, we've also got lots of espalier pears now the pears oh they're a sore point for me at the moment because on friday i was here giving them a summer prune thinning out the fruits to one every six inches of stem something like that they were looking glorious and we're now on tuesday came in and uh, the squirrels have demolished the whole crop of three of the trees we've got one, two, three, about eight. We've got eight trees of spelliade pears um, against the south facing wall. They, pears do love a warm, sunny wall. They do normally do really well here, but the squirrels have got other plans for us this year, so we're having to scratch our heads, decide what to do. So I'll walk past those and try not to cry. Um, we've got a last sowing of broad beans just maturing. We've had two mature already. This is the third one. Second sowing of peas. We've got one called terrain, which is a mildew resistant type, so it's quite good for sowing later into the summer. I always do host green shaft as an early, but I've got the terrain to come in uh, this time of year. We've got some calabrese, then we've got some cut flowers, which are some lovely bearded iris and some altramirus from gladioli that are just throwing the spears up now. Uh, some sweet peas that I've been cordoning. Saul Walker knows all about my cordon training method and he's been, I'm very flattered to say that he's been mimicking that in his own garden. So thank you very much to Mr. Walker for doing that. Uh, I'm now walking past a whole load of plants that we lifted up from the bog garden because that's one of our renovation projects for this year. The bog garden is riddled with bindweed and I bit the bullet in the spring and decided to lift everything up in the bog garden to 
renovate the areas. So that will be a topic, no doubt, of another podcast. So just before I take you into the fruit cage, I need to dash past the irrigation because I've left it on. It's quite nice on the hot day, actually. Um, what I'm looking at here is all the major rectangular vegetable beds of the kitchen garden. The one I'm irrigating at the moment has got sweet corn in it, three varieties of sweet corn, early bird, golden eagle, golden phoenix, and then some leeks. The, it also has a bear bed right next to it, and this is where my winter brassicas are going to be destined for next week. So what I'm doing is just irrigating that bed to get it soaked so the brassicas go into something nice and moist because it has been really dry here. Uh, I'm walking past some lovely climbing French and runner beans. I've mixed them up a bit this year just to create a little bit of interest and we've got some really nice hazel poles that have come from the nutchery that they're climbing up. And then against that bed is also a whole load of main crop potatoes. We've got Maris Piper, Cara, and also we've got some Anya, which is more of a salad potato. So we're just trying to persuade the owners to try a salad potato too. They have the uh, Cara, which is a jacket, and the Maris Piper, which is the all-rounder. So um, just trying to nudge them towards trying something a bit different. Got some celery and celeriac, which is in a bed that's being irrigated really heavily because these crops love lots of moisture. And then there's some globe artichokes, which we've already been cutting. The owners love these. So now I'm back round to where the asparagus bed is, right from the start. And I'm looking at a bed where I... This is the one I was telling you was full of weeds. And now it's looking really rather lovely. Annual spinach, a drilling of beetroot. I need to make another drill just to get the succession going. Some Florence fennel, some scores on her, parsley carrots. And then the final bed is all the main crop alliums. So we've got the, the red um, and the yellow skinned... So shallots and we've got some garlic chives and one sowing of spring onions and I need to make a few more. So that is the vegetable garden. I've just walked into our fruit cage, which as you can tell by the lack of crunching under my feet is lined with bark mulch as opposed to gravel. And I have been spending a lot of time in here over the past few days and weeks because the raspberries, oh my goodness, the raspberries have been phenomenal. Just phenomenal. I don't know about anyone else listening out there what your raspberries have been like this year. I think with the very early moisture in the spring and then the lovely, lovely sunny weather from April onwards, they've loved it. I have been picking tray upon tray upon tray and there's still tray upon tray upon tray to pick. Um, so I hope the owners have got a big freezer. One, the one we grow here at the moment uh, that's doing really well is Mauling Minerva. So that's from the East Mauling Research Station in Kent. Uh, we also have Morling Admiral that's just coming in so the owners obviously have got a bit of a thing for East Morling varieties. There's some red currants just colouring up, some two rows of autumn raspberries and then we have the owner's gooseberry collection which is looking rather lovely and I'll take some pictures of this to put on Twitter because there's all sorts of varieties. They're all trained as cordons which is a brilliant way to train gooseberries into a small space. They stand maybe a foot square, that's it and we've got how many? One, two, three, four, five, six. We've got 16 in here. And if you have uh, a fancy for a particular fruit like this and you want to grow lots in a small space, then cordon gooseberries are for you. I'm also going to put a photograph up of what we've had to do to our cherry trees, which is not pretty. But those of you who grow cherries will know that there's this relatively new pest to the UK called the spotted wing drosophila. Doesn't that roll off the tongue nicely? Uh, it's a real pain. Basically, it's a fruit fly. And this fruit fly has a tendency to attack 
slightly underripe fruits. Most fruit flies are the ones you find in your compost bin when you lift the lid off and they're there attacking the rotten fruits. So they like the rotten flesh. But this fruit fly likes them slightly less ripe. And that's why it's such a problem because it attacks the fruits while they're still on the tree. And it doesn't just attack cherries, it attacks other soft fruit as well. Fingers, toes and legs crossed. We have not had other plants affected by the Drosophila in this fruit cage, just the cherries so far. But basically I've cloaked them in uh, insect proof mesh, the very fine mesh, and that should keep the Drosophila off. I'd like to just very quickly open the door to our main greenhouse in the kitchen garden because it's a rather splendid structure. And I'm going to paint a picture for you of the grapevines. We've got two in here. We've got the black hambird and we've got muscat of Alexandria. They are laden with fruit this year because I haven't got around to thinning out the bunches yet. I'd need to do this. This is one of those jobs that I've got to get done. And hopefully by the time this podcast goes out, I might well have done that because it's, um, it's a pressing job. I need to get it sorted. But they are hanging in the roof. Each vine is a good 12 metres long. There's about three or four rods off each one. And it's just dripping, dripping, dripping with fruit. So very excited for what that might be bringing us later in the summer. So out of the main greenhouse now, just looking at, we've got a couple of little greenhouses, one of which I've emptied completely because I, they are on the south wall of the, green, of, the, of the kitchen garden, so it's difficult to grow lots of things in there that don't like the heat. But the one I'm standing at now has got melons in it and cucumbers, and also we've got sweet peppers, chilli peppers and basil in pots. I love this little greenhouse. It's a very modest aluminium frame, but I like to get all the canes tied in nicely. I use terracotta pots. We've got some lovely staging. It's got gravel floor, so I damp this down every morning that I'm here. The humidity is just delicious and it grows these heat-loving plants very, very well indeed. So I have a little soft spot for that greenhouse. It ain't pretty, but it does the job. And I just want to very quickly finish in the kitchen garden because I need to drag myself out of here. There are some other lovely parts of the garden to look at too. I'm now standing in the second half of the kitchen garden, which is all devoted to fruit trees. We've got freestanding fruit trees. We've got lots of freestanding apples, about eight of them, a freestanding almond, a massive, massive walnut tree. Why the squirrels are going for the pears, not the walnuts, I will not understand. I never will, and I just need to get over it because otherwise I should get cross. Uh, we've got a Victoria plum, nectarine, peach, apricot, all have been targeted by the squirrels say no more and then we've got lots of tomatoes this year I've gone a bit tomato crazy all around the walls where the fruit trees are there's gaps and I'll put some pictures up of these because we're growing 22 different tomato varieties this year and just seeing how they perform because it's lovely to try different varieties and there's such a plethora of tomatoes out there for amateurs and professionals to get their teeth into. So that's exactly what we intend doing sometime during late July, August. So I've left the kitchen garden now behind me and I'm walking down that lovely grassy path which is flanked either side by the most amazing Philadelphus walkway. The scent is just incredibly sweet, incredibly sweet. It's um, heavy in the air and I will take some photos because 
One side is still immature because it was not planted at the same time as the, the side on the right. So they're slightly unbalanced at the moment, but the one on the right, which is mature and established, is look, looking so, so pretty. If you were a bride and you wanted to get married and the owners would allow it, you should walk down here and it would just make the most amazing photographs of the day. So leaving that behind, I'm now walking us into the wild flower meadow. If you hear heavy breathing and thundering of feet, it's not me, it's my Labrador Lily who's with me this afternoon. Well, it might be me, heavy breathing, I don't know. It's quite hot this afternoon, so, um, but mostly it's her. And you might be able to hear the crickets and grasshoppers going absolutely ballistic because this is full sun, baked sandy soil. We don't feed this anything at all. This is about an acre of meadow that we sowed way back in March. This is an annual meadow. So don't forget there's there's various different types. Of, <laughs> that was Lily. There's various different types of meadow. This is the annual, which actually is incredibly easy and quick to achieve. And now we're in our third, fourth year of having an annual meadow here. And so I've now got to the subtle tweaking stage. If you want to put down a meadow, then I cannot recommend annual ones enough. You literally just sow them in March and they flower come June and then into July they'll self-seed in the uh, late summer you let the seed fall to the ground you chop the whole lot up with a rotavator and it's it carries on the cycle you can sow in autumn or you can if you, if you want to sow another whole lot in the spring and rotivate the, the meadow up which is what we do here we do to do a spring sowing um, we're tweaking the management of this and I'm, I'm thinking about because it's been so hot and dry here this spring one corner did actually struggle the seedlings struggled and I do think that maybe an autumn sowing for those might allow them to be more resilient through any spring droughts that we do seem to be getting more and more in Essex so I've got ideas in my head for how to manage this meadow and to, to move it forward it might be that actually what I do is have some parts as a perennial meadow and some parts as an annual because as beautiful as the annual meadow is and it really is uh, a feast of colour in June and July it doesn't then continue on past that time. It's a crescendo. It's an all-singing, all-dancing, big splash of colour. And then it fades away, whereas perennial meadows are much more subtle. And I do think, actually, the marriage of the two together in this area, because it's big enough, would create something really special. We've got some lovely cedar trees and um, a beautiful oak tree in the meadow as well, which have just been cleared of their lower branches so I can walk underneath those to provide me a bit of shade, because it's really rather sunny here. What I'm looking at here is a mixture of corn marigold, corn chamomile and corn flower. So you've basically, the clues in the name there, these are cornfield annuals. Uh, you could have corn cockle as well, we've done that in, in years past. That doesn't seem quite so competitive as the three, the yellow of the corn marigold, the white with the yellow disc centre of the corn chamomile and the blue of the corn flower is a really stunning combination. We had sown some poppies in here as well, but they haven't done a no-show. And I think that is because we didn't rotivate up the meadow as much as I really wanted to. There was a, a difference of opinion between myself and my husband. It's a difficulty when you work with your husband, isn't it? It's a, you have to kind of maintain marital bliss. But I would have run the, the rotivator over this one more time. We didn't. The poppies aren't here. I'm saying nothing, all right? I really am saying nothing. <laughs> so, but yeah, the meadow, it's still looking absolutely stunning. I'll take some photos for you on Twitter so you can see for yourselves.
Wow, and just to add, I'm, I've walked the end of the meadow, which I haven't done, admittedly, since last week. As I say, we're now Tuesday, and we've got a lovely blue cedar at the end of the meadow, which leads into the bluebell woods. And there's a massive, a massive limb has fallen off it. And I've stood here looking at a limb over a fence, right across the main grass farm access to the fields beyond. And the limb is, gosh, it's massive. It really is. Um, sometimes trees do do this, especially cedars. They've got this habit of just losing limbs, which is what sometimes when you see them that are centuries, centuries old, they've got this beautiful shape to them. But this is it in action, I guess. The limb is at least 20 metres long. And at its thickest point, it's, what well, I would say 25 centimetres diameter. And it's created a bit of a gouge. We're going to have to get up there and tidy the wound up because it's left a rather jagged, ugly mark. This will not be cleared up anytime soon, I imagine. So I'll be able to show you a photograph of this just to show what sometimes happens in woodlands. It's a curveball that you get thrown at now and again as a head gardener. And you just have to stop all your jobs, get on and sort it out. She's been running around in the wildflower meadow like a lunatic and it's quite a hot day so I will give her a drink of water in a I'm just opening one of the gorgeous gates that we have at the hall. They make some most amazing sounds and I'm walking up from the meadow back in to the more manicured parts of the garden. I'm walking past and I don't know why they're here but they are because there's no other fruit trees in this part of the garden whatsoever. Two beautiful fan train figs and they are dripping with fruit. I don't know if any of you out there have got figs in your estates or in your gardens and if you can confirm to me whether this is going to be a good fig year but I think it is because they are loaded. I've never seen them so full so maybe someone could give me the heads up if it's just in Dumbledore we've got figs or if it's elsewhere too. So oh, see there is some heavy breathing for me. I slightly have a puff. What I'm doing now is walking towards the herbaceous borders which are uh, full throttle at the moment. We've got a uh, cool border, which is all purples and whites and soft pinks. We've got the hot border, which is all scarlets and golden yellows and the odd hot pink in there as well, just to throw things into the mix. And they are, well, this cold border is kind of on the, it's on the wane ever so slightly because it does do its thing more into May and June. Because it's been so warm this year, I think it's sort of burning out a bit more prematurely, but it's got cardoons at the back. Uh, we've got onopordum, the scotch thistle, we've got hollyhocks. So we've got massive structure at the back. We've got three big metal obelisks with the uh, the sombre climbing rose up them, which the, is particularly a favourite of the owners. It's a lovely, fully, fully double white flower and the scent is just amazing. I love, if I'm pruning anything in that border, I just tend to fall into the rose accidentally and have a good old sniff. It's gorgeous. We've got a stone seat and behind that is a Buddy alternifolia. And then behind that is a potato vine, which is so vigorous and it's a lovely, delicate lilac colour. It's not the white and it's not the harsh purple, it's something in between. The owners tell me that Beth Chateau gave this to them uh, specifically, so I'm going to go with that. I think it's rather lovely, but it does like to liaise with the Buddleia quite a lot in the summer and I need to get in there now I can see and separate the two because. It's just become a little bit of a tangle. We don't mind the odd nudging together, but when it becomes a little bit of a mess, that's when I need to step in and sort things out. But yeah, the hollyhocks are here. We've got 
a deep uh, purple salvia mate. Is it? I can never pronounce that right. Mate, mainart, um a stachys, which looks beautiful against that. The the Byzantinum, this just the, the straightforward species, looks so nice against the salvia. Delphiniums are looking good, and uh, catmint, the peter. Uh, a beautiful geranium called Mrs. Kendall Clark, which is one of the most dainty cranes when we geraniums out. Penstem and Hidcoat, uh, all, all sorts of delicious stuff. But I must move on because I know time is probably running out for me. I've nearly got to my 20-minute milestone. And so I'm walking along to look at the hot border, which is, conversely to the cool border, is now coming into its own. And what I can see here is... On the front, we've got potentially Gibson Scarlet and Lightness Chalcedonica. We've got this amazing Alstroemeria, which is bright red. I don't know the variety name, and I, I don't know if the owners do, but it's it's stunning. It's just so in your face, so I will definitely photograph that for you. We've got some Ligularia. We've got Acanthus spinosus, which is quite a dominant part of the whole borders of the design. There's some big blocks of that here, there, and everywhere, so that's quite an important plant for these borders. We've got some um, daylily Franz house, which is just in bud, not quite come through yet, so that will come in latterly in the season, along with the, the Dahlia Bishop of Landaff, which also is just, just starting to put on a few flowers, but not too much at the moment. So I love seeing this border unfurl as the summer goes on. Lots of things do kind of go on the wane as summer progresses, but this is an exception to that rule. It's just... Um, I don't know, there's something about the colours of red and yellow and orange and gold which just lifts your spirits. It's so punchy and gorgeous and, um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to behold. So I'll try and get some images to convey that for you. So that concludes today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening and would love any feedback or reviews you feel compelled to give us via your preferred podcast provider or social media platform. Life in the garden and out of it continually evolves for all of us. There is now reference to a new kind of normal and we are excited to hope that this will bring opportunities to visit gardens, friends and colleagues old and new so we can gradually adjust from virtual to actual worlds. Specialist nurseries, gardening charities, small businesses and self-employed individuals will still rely on us for financial support and encouragement over the coming weeks and months. We hope everyone in this profession is digging deep and finding ways to flourish. We are continually thinking of you all. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.